0: Spirituality Challenged is a podcast recorded on Canadian Treaty 1 territory and that the land on which we gather is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji-Cree, Dakota, and Dene people and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We acknowledge that our water is sourced from Shoal Lake 41st Nation, which is located on Treaty 3 territory. Spirituality Challenged respects the spirit and intent of treaties and treaty-making and are open to future partnerships with First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people in the spirit of truth, reconciliation, and collaboration. A quick warning, this episode contains descriptions of violence and discussions of sexual misconduct. Listener discretion is advised, and if this bothers you, take care of yourself. Previously on Spirituality Challenged So, I'm going to give you my definition of the New Apostolic Reformation. It's a fairly small network of leaders who congealed around a guy named C. Peter Wagner. Most of them thought that they were latter-day apostles and prophets sent to lead the church into revival and transformation. And this network ultimately came to believe that they were destined
1: to lead the entire globe into Reformation and transformation. And so
0: they had developed this particular theology and that theology has spread. Many of these people have become celebrities in the independent charismatic world. Their name brands in that world. And he was the one who coined this term, New Apostolic Reformation, that he believed was going to be the key growth of the church, the key edge of growth in the church in the 21st century. Jesus taught about this. Uh,
2: new wineskins and old wineskins. So anyway, where we are now is that I believe our old wineskin, for most of us, is denomination. And our new wineskin is the New Apostolic Reformation.
0: In early March 2008, I was considered a practicing disciple of the New Apostolic Reformation, along with my friend nicknamed Moose and a few other guys. We considered ourselves prophets and apostles traveling all over Manitoba, after being filled with the Holy Spirit. At least, that's what I felt we were doing at the time. I would say that this was one of the worst moments of my life as a Christian. And what prompted me to stop participating in the NAR, as some people like to call it, was a time while Moose was singing songs, sharing what God was doing while he was street evangelizing, and times where he was telling wild stories of the people he spread fire to. At that time, I was tired. While we were driving to different churches to spread the New Apostolic Reformation gospel and revival, all I was doing was staring out at the landscapes and in my mind asking questions to myself as we drove from church to church. We were doing this every day for the past week in March, and even had one service go as late as 3 in the morning in Portage La Prairie. I needed a break, but I knew that deep down, if we didn't share what God wanted us to share with many Manitoban Christians in rural areas of the province, they wouldn't encounter the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Before I tell you what happened that made me leave the New Apostolic Reformation altogether, let me give some backstory. Before we tried to spread the spiritual fire in places like Morden, Brandon, and Altona, we had a revivalist come to Winnipeg named Todd Bentley. Soon after he visited, he took off for Florida and started the Lakeland Revival that blew the limitations of the New Apostolic Reformation off the actual cap. He came to us at Calvary Temple, where I was attending as one of the first churches to help kick things off. The typical shtick he's known for was that the Holy Spirit's love for his creation wasn't your typical hugs or glory clouds. It was a raging, furious love that was violent. Todd told stories in our services about his own manifestations of the Spirit. He would always claim that his charismatic experiences resulted in broken doors and tables smashed to pieces. There was even a testimony where he claimed that after God set him free, he was also possessed and freed from 25 demons. Here's a clip from a YouTube video. I hear the audible voice of the Lord and here's what God says to me.
2: He says, Todd, go up to frenchie and tell him that you have a demon. I said, what? I'm hearing the voice of God and the audible voice of God says to me, a spirit-filled, born-again Christian, praying hours a day, reading the New Testament in one sitting. I mean, in church, you know, I was in men's group on Tuesday night, in church on Sunday, in mass on Monday, like anywhere that I was out in the streets every day. I was like, what? Tell him I have a demon. I said, how can I have a demon? I don't have a demon. And so he said, yeah, I want you to go tell him that you have a demon. And so right in the middle of this service, I walk up to him and I, I I whisper into his ears, Frenchie, I have a, and I start manifesting a demon. In fact, it wasn't my voice anymore. I was so possessed by this spirit that literally my voice started speaking in another voice. But yet I was still aware of the fact that I'm Todd Bentley. I'm here. There's a voice speaking out of my mouth that's not my voice but I have no control I can't I can't get myself back and I can feel something rising up and through my flesh not my spirit but through my flesh there's a demonic power controlling me it throws me onto the floor and I start writhing like a snake. I smash the coffee table and I start uh, grabbing people that are in the room and I just throwing them around up against the bookcase. I mean, I'm thrashing this lady's house and I'm like an uncontrollable writhing servant on the fo- serpent on the floor, speaking in a different voice and cursing and profanities coming out of my mouth. And as that's happening, I'm saying, I love Jesus. This can't be happening to me. I don't have demons. I love Jesus and the whole time I'm cursing the very people that I love and I'm, I can't stop, you know? And so he jumps on me and he starts performing deliverance and the first spirit that came out of me was fear. That was the first demon. It was a demon of fear. And then he starts dealing with all these other demonic spirits. And every time he would call out another spirit, but he was operating in the gift of the discerning spirits, he'd call out another spirit's name, and I'd go, I'd get more violent. And, and it took like eight people to try to hold me down. They were sitting on my body, sitting on my legs and on my arms and whatever, and I'm still writhing up and down. And 25 demons were
0: cast out of me that night. Well, dear listener, let me just say that You're in for a wild ride this episode. Welcome to Spirituality Challenge, dear listener. I am your host, Aaron Parsons. On this podcast, we uncover the rarely discussed history and expose sources behind controversial Christian ideologies while speaking truth to power. We try to cover as much ground within an hour on one topic in each episode, so sit back, relax, and prepare to be challenged. So, how did Todd end up at Calvary Temple in Winnipeg? If you've listened to the last episode, it was about the history of Pentecostalism and the New Apostolic Reformation, an offshoot with the New Age goal of reforming Christianity into something wildly charismatic. In Calvary Temple history in Winnipeg, the young adult pastor left in 2004 to start his own church. Reverend Trevor Meyer, who had a New Apostolic Reformation experience of fire in St. Louis, Missouri, took the position that needed to be filled. Until 2010, Meyer ministered to young adults at CT and during that time was connected with leaders like Kevin Thompson, John Arnott, and Will and Stacy Campbell. Trevor wanted to start New Apostolic Reformation services on Sunday evenings at Calvary Temple with services called Beyond. Eventually, he came across Todd Bentley and invited him to one of the Sunday night services after an anointed coffee chat. After giving the typical testimony as part of our typical Beyond services, Todd went to touch every single person in attendance to bind and loosen heavenly things. This kind of act was based on Matthew 16, 18-19, which according to NAR folks, indicates Jesus has given people the power to bind and loose anything that is spiritual. Remember, New Apostolic Reformation members are all apostles and prophets that have authority to give commands to anything in the spirit realm and the spiritual entities that are there, whether they are demon or angel, and they have to obey. This can be anything from casting a demon out to declaring a hedge of protection over someone. As usual, there was drunkenness in the spirit, flag waving, shaking, rolling, screaming, running, and barking in the service that night. But Todd Bentley brought something more. And we're talking Benny Hinn level more. And I'm not going to lie, what you're about to hear, you had to be in the room to believe what I'm talking about. Todd wasn't just screaming words like, loose, or come out, but he was also punching, he was kicking, he was karate chopping other believers into spiritual experiences that night. And yes, I was one of the people literally physically hit by Todd Bentley that night. I was an usher for the evening. During the service, a woman complained to me that someone was trying to get Todd to pray over her. But clearly from other accounts, that someone just wanted attention. The woman frustrated at me, she said to me, why didn't he pray for this person? Jesus would have. All I know was that the show had to go on so Todd could touch everyone collectively. The chaos was so dramatic that day. It was so dramatic that people had to line up in the halls. When people started to line up outside of the service area, I had to tell them where to stand so that Todd would get a chance to touch and pray over them. As Todd approached certain people in the lines, they began to shake violently, and some even fell without him even touching or speaking to them. I just stood there, frozen in fear, Thoughts went through my head like, Oh great, he's probably going to give me an uppercut, or do show you Can' from Street Fighter on me or something. But he did worse once he faced me. He yelled, Take the fear out in Jesus' name, and punched me in the stomach. It all felt like slow motion. I was screaming. My upper back hit the wall, and I fell face down first from the impact. Moose had a similar experience. Because he was tall, Todd couldn't reach his head. But he still was hit with the power of God. But Moose didn't fall backward and get caught by one of the catchers, so to speak, like what usually happens in those New Apostolic Reformation churches. He almost fell forward on top of Todd. While I was on the floor, the thought crept through my mind. Was any of this stuff real? ever since I had an encounter with God in 2004. It was so cool, and it was so thrilling. But is it actually real? Or should I press charges because I was just violently assaulted? There are so many accounts of what happened during the Lakeland Revival in Florida, and it took me a couple of days to get some credible information on the events that took place. So if I miss something, dear listener, send me a message, and I'll upload a new recording of this episode replacing the recording that you're hearing now. First, we need to answer a very important question. Who is Todd Bentley? Here's what we know. Todd was born... In a small town in British Columbia on January 10, 1976, but he was raised in another town off the coast of British Columbia. His parents divorced when he was a teenager, and he was sent around various foster homes. He got into crime, drugs and alcohol, and was arrested multiple times. One of those times involved sexually assaulting a kid. While he was in prison, Todd converted to Christianity, and after being released from jail, he devoted his life to reading the Bible and moving in the Holy Spirit with signs, wonders, and miracles. So of course he would get into the New Apostolic Reformation after all. By 1997, Todd Bentley was a regular speaker in a small church in Vancouver where the meetings had young people experiencing the craziness of the NAR for the first time. Many of his testimonies he gave were supposed to be 10 minutes long, but they turned into hours, with people falling over in the spirit just from hearing him speak. Eventually, after preaching in various places in B.C. and the Yukon, one of Todd's offenses caught up with him. While talking with a magazine publisher about the revival meetings, he thought he spoke off the record about his past. Parts of that off-record conversation were put in a 2001 magazine called The Report. Todd went on to start a revival in Kelowna, not knowing that the family of the kid he sexually assaulted while he was a teen before becoming a Christian had moved to that particular place. When that family saw the posters of the revival event with Todd Bentley's name on it, they contacted the local paper. Eventually, the town started to panic from Todd's conviction becoming public in the press, so Todd decided to go live at 6 p.m. on the local TV broadcast network. He told the truth of his crimes on air, asked for forgiveness, told viewers how ashamed he was, and shared his testimony of how he was transformed five years after the incident because of Jesus. But even after the event, where hundreds still attended, C. Peter Wagner's Charisma magazine still asked him many questions regarding his past and the accuracy of how God moved in those services, which led him to move on towards international ministry full-time under the label Fresh Fire Ministries until after the Lakeland Revival. He still attracted large crowds and even held an event in India where up to 200,000 people attended to receive fire from the Holy Spirit. This leads us to April 2008. Todd Bentley was invited by Pastor Steven Strader to preach for one week at Lakeland, Florida's Ignited Church. They were starting out with a Signs and Wonders Conference but it was dubbed an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Since the church was only able to seat just over a thousand people, he had to visit and televise at other venues where services were being held simultaneously. The revival's other locations even included an air-conditioned tent with 10,000 people attending there and a sold-out crowd in the Lakeland Tigers baseball stadium which seated another 10,000 people. Webcasts of the event went viral along with videos on YouTube, which exploded into the millions. Eventually, God TV picked up some of the webcasts, and many people were watching Todd share his off the wall New Apostolic Reformation ideology. And yes, this included Todd trying to heal people by kicking, smacking, hitting, or performing wrestling moves on some of the most vulnerable people who needed a cure. Reports from the St. Petersburg Times indicated Todd was so violent that a man lost his tooth and an elderly woman got a roundhouse kick to the face. While worship consisted of covers by IHOP's Misty Edwards and Jesus Culture's Kim Walker, the services focused on healing from sickness and deliverance, or being loosened from demons. There were services every single day that happened in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. Each service even overlapped, lasting hours on end. Time was given for people to share testimonies of healings or conversion experiences. Some worship sets were three to four hours long. Most of the people prayed for were in their teens and twenties. Some were homeless, some were addicts, and some were even street workers. Many people even claimed that the presence of God was so tangible that the hair on their arms literally stood up straight for an entire service. They also claimed that during these services where people were falling down, etc., scars were disappearing, many demons were coming out of people, emotional issues were healed, and many Christian companies and ministries were started that day. People were training to spread the gospel on the streets and conversations about the Lakeland outpouring as it was called were heard everywhere from convenience stores, grocers, hotels, restaurants, and even Walmart and Disney World. Many similar services happened all the way until October 12, 2008 and over 500,000 people had attended the event in person while 80 million more viewed the events online. And despite how radical this revival was, it got some pushback. While supposedly 12 people, ironically, had received medical verification of being healed because of Lakeland, ABC's Nightline reported that not a single claim of Todd's healing powers could be independently verified. Pastor Strader responded, indicating that privacy concerns and laws forbidding the release of medical records have prevented revival officials from releasing complete information about the identities and conditions of people claiming to be healed this included claims that several people who died were raised from the dead and who knows if any of this is true or not following the reports todd took some time off from the revival but he came back in july for another month Todd and Pastor Strader eventually parted ways in August, and later it was reported that Todd had split up with his wife, which ended his ministry temporarily. After the news of the resignation was released, Christian leaders released statements with differing ideas of how the revival ended. Soon it was revealed that Todd had slept around with various women involved in the revival, and he would pay them off later when they threatened to accuse him of rape. Soon, a committee with Jack Deere, Bill Johnson, and Rick Joyner was formed to oversee the process of spiritually restoring Bentley's marriage and helping him heal from his sexual addictions. Todd tried to start revivals again in 2010, this time in the UK, but he couldn't get into the country due to his violent past. He returned to God TV in 2013 and did revivals in Pretoria and Cape Town in Africa. In 2014, he was about to do a service in Pakistan. He claimed that three men were raised from the dead, but there was no medical evidence proving any of the three men were actually clinically dead. And then, in 2019, something terrible happened.
1: I'm going to address something that came up, was... Anyway, made public yesterday. It's something that's been going around for years, but uh, a whole huge uh, list of accusations came out about Todd Bentley. I was included in in those, not having done the things, but having been accused of covering things up and everything.
0: That's Rick Joyner, who helped Todd Bentley start Fresh Fire Ministries. Joyner claims that a self-proclaimed prophet named Steve Powell mentioned that multiple staff and interns involved with Todd's revivals had come to Steve in confidence, saying Todd made sexual advances towards them and in some cases engaged in sexual acts with multiple men and women outside his marriage. And many of the sexual acts were with interns and students under his leadership.
3: I wanna say that uh, I've had a, a great honor and privilege in my life I've been able to travel with Todd Bentley and his team around the world. God help me for for many years. But there's been some things that I've become aware of in Todd's life which for a number of years have not been addressed. Unrepented sin. What has appeared to be cover-ups by leadership, not really dealing with the situation what I believe is an appropriate manner. I've come across, you know, some of the most just horrible, horrible allegations and evidence and proof and testimony over the last few months of of unrepented sin in Todd's life in the lives of people he's associated with I've gone through the most exhaustive process that I know of to to bring these allegations to bring the evidence that I have of these wrongdoings to leadership Um, but I've been met unfortunately with indifference I've been met with what I would describe as bizarre behavior in handling these things I brought to leadership, you know, going back to June, and uh, I was told at, at that time that leadership, including Rick Joyner, was aware of the situation, yet he still neglected to reach out to me directly. There's been multiple incidents since 2008, since Lakeland, um, during a time that Todd was supposedly restored, um, that just terrible, terrible sin and, 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 and things have come up, allegations have come up, not just allegations, evidence. And, uh, the only thing that we've seen that's been done was, you know, Todd was sat down for, we were told for six months, you know, in 2013 for an incident involving a a male intern. And, uh, but he still didn't have to, you know, get secular work. He still didn't have to, you know, go get a job or anything like that. So he was still supported by the ministry while he was sitting down, which in my mind is like a paid vacation for serious sins, serious issues, Originally, these reports, these allegations came to me unsolicited. I didn't go seeking them. They came to me. And uh, there's people that have been affected. I've talked to people in this investigation, um, which I would call victims. I would call people that were taken advantage of, young interns that come in impressionable with their guard down, with their walls down, uh, trusting men of God, trusting people because they see a genuine anointing. And then I think they've been taken advantage of. Um, you know, and I don't think that's right, but I've talked to some of these people, um, in my report, in my investigation and their faith has been destroyed. They don't even serve Jesus anymore. Some of them, they don't even want anything to do with the church anymore, which is an absolute tragedy.
0: On a Facebook status, Powell posted that a male intern claimed that in 2013, Todd offered him $1,000 for sex. Other interns say that Todd offered the money for various sexual acts and another claims he sent another intern explicit photos and videos of those actual acts taking place. Powell claims that Todd's wife and several ministry partners helped cover up Todd's sexual misconduct. He also mentioned that at least one of Todd's accusers was bribed into silence and that Paul himself was threatened with violence and a lawsuit if he went public. Rick acknowledged that he had not responded to Paul's request to meet right away and wanted to make sure God was behind "the right time," quote unquote, to meet regarding Todd's misconduct. Rick claims that other public figures in the New Apostolic Reformation have done worse than what Todd was accused of, and it was stretching his idea of what God will give his grace and mercy to. Todd responded with a Facebook video himself, discussing his past as usual, but saying that many of the accusations are false. Eventually, the number of people attending Todd Bentley's future services decreased substantially and the COVID-19 pandemic definitely made things worse for his chances of ever holding a huge revival like Lakeland again. Let me just get real for a second here. Why is it that Christians get so hopped up on little demons or things they don't find normal like having blood for food or listening to heavy metal or disco or what people do in their bedrooms, including masturbating, but then when it comes to church leaders who do shady or abusive things behind closed doors, there's no justice until a leader is caught or someone spills the beans to the general public? Why is the need for encounters with God so important to people like Todd Bentley or Trevor Meyer, but when it comes to their personal demons, they're given either a slap on the wrist, or any kind of intervention or church therapy for them doesn't actually have long-lasting public changes? I don't know the answer at all, but I do know this. Individual spiritual health in evangelicalism, including the New Apostolic Reformation, is way more important than the collective health of a religious community. Unless the leaders need to be held to account before shit hits the fan. It also seems to me like if certain ministries shut down, it means the devil has won even though other ministries pop up everywhere and so-called new prophets or thought leaders keep this toxic New Age fast food Christianity going like a capitalist pushing more product with no innovation, all over the internet, all over Twitter, all over YouTube, all over Rumble. The other thing I want to note is that since the release of a Christian book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, certain forms of toxic masculinity are embraced in the church sexual aggression was an indicator that a man could be a powerful spiritual warrior in the new apostolic reformation and that's one of the reasons why accusations of rape or adultery aren't dealt with in todd bentley's case until a man loses control and takes the aggression out on his own flock and multiple people in his own flock i might add if you want to know why this is such an important topic Look for the Straight White American Jesus podcast episode called Christian Nationalism is the Original Purity Culture. Brad Onishi outlines exactly why male predators are celebrated by Republicans and why Trump gets away with certain sex acts while Bill Clinton's affair destroyed him. And just a quick reminder, if it hasn't been said already. Trump himself even said that he's no longer a Presbyterian but a non-denominational Christian. This is code for indicating that he aligned himself with the New Apostolic Reformation. As many people know, sexual assault allegations and accusations occurred in multiple churches lately, which ended up with many secular investigations into what happens in New Apostolic Reformation, non-denominational churches, and much more, whether we're talking about Hillsong, IHOP, Willow Creek, or even smaller churches like this one. So, it says to, you know, to the family, to the
4: church, Debbie and I have been out of town and the funeral. My absence at this time was not about self-protection. We were caring for hurting people. That's why I'm here today, to follow the biblical process of confession, repentance, and forgiveness. If God wants anything out of us, as we just heard, it's to bring healing to all who are involved. I committed adultery. It was nearly 20 years ago. It continued far too long. It involved one person, and there's been no other, nor any other situation of unbecoming conduct for the last 20 years. I will not use the Bible to defend, protect, deflect, my past sin, I have no defense. I committed the adultery.
1: For 27 years, I lived in a prison. It was not 20 years. I lived in a prison of lies and shame, lying to protect the low family. For years, I thought I was a horrible person having suicidal thoughts, not realizing what had been truly done to me, that I was a victim. If my brother, and many of you know him, Edgar Wolf, had not approached me just two weeks ago with what he had seen as a teenager that bothered him all these years. His pastor in bed with his younger sister, a t-shirt and underwear on. People knew, but were too afraid to come forward, and they have now. The lies and the manipulation have to stop. I was a prisoner, and you kept me in your prison. I'm a prisoner no longer. I was just 16 when you took my virginity on your office floor. Do you remember that? I know you do, and I have plenty of other stories that I could bring to your remembrance. You did things to my teenage body that had never and should have never been done. If you can't admit the truth, you have to answer to God. You are not the victim here. I tried to tell someone, but all that was done was cover up. No one ever came to me. No one ever helped me. No one ever got me counseling. I have wanted to talk to somebody all of these years and never. You have. You have somebody that you've talked to. I never have. The church deserves to know the truth. This church has been built on lies, but no more. The lies need to stop. I could give story after story after story to what you did to me. Michael, your dad is not the victim here. A partial truth is not true. If I would have gotten counseling, your dad would be in prison. It might not be the way, but every time you covered up for Russ Spangle, my best friend was my age when your associate pastor was molesting his two daughters. And you know that. You sent him to be a pastor in another church. We can call Melanie right now and Cassie, her sister. They sat down with you. You sent Melanie away. Don't look at me like that. You know the truth. My wife is not just adultery. It's another level when it's a teenager. And I will not let this man talk about my wife like that. It
4: happened for nine years. When she was 15, 16, the sexual grooming started. And it lasted until she met me, and we started dating. This is the truth. And that's all we're going to say, except just that's, that's we it. We have numbers. You can talk that's, to my brother. That's fine. This necklace was Bobby's. It was given to her by Joe of Second, and possibly other people in the office. They might have received necklaces, too, as like a ministry gift. I'm, I'm not trying to stretch the truth here. But it was in our house, and I'm giving it back. This was Bobby's covenant of purity ring. Which she wore while this man had sex with her, and she felt ashamed all these years wearing a covenant purity ring. She felt a lot of shame and guilt. We are working through love and forgiveness. We're working through it, but people have to be held accountable, and they can't just they can't just bamboozle people and just say, "Well, I just committed adultery. It was far beyond adultery." So here's the covenant period way back. I don't want it in my home. We're done. I can't do anything about that except to tell you that if I could go back and redo it all, I would. I can't. And all I can do is ask you to forgive me. And I'm doing what the Bible process or biblical process is in the church. I'm stepping down, stepping aside. And uh, you know, it's been twenty years. I know, I guess it doesn't count for anything. We love them, I deeply hurt them, I deeply hurt you. I ask you to forgive me, and that's all I can do. All sin has consequences, but you are faithful and just in all that you do.
0: As much as I wish I could go back to church and try to set things straight or challenge the systems that run American Evangelicalism or the New Apostolic Reformation churches, it's only going to result in me getting completely banned from these places. The entire system has to be completely destroyed in order to wake people up and have Christians actually live the biblical way. All the pews have to be emptied. That's the only way things will become truly biblical again. And sure... There are good people trying to make things right in church who aren't nationalist or bigots or Nazis or anti-Semitic or QAnon believers. I don't want to demonize people, but if they're actually not doing anything to change the status quo inside churches besides walking away, they're actually not good enough Christians. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to calm down. Just give me a sec. When I talked with people who know about revivals but don't attend them, They've expressed the frustration that the status quo never changes after months of 24-7 worship or that if someone actually changes, they start seeing demons everywhere or they're constantly sharing conspiracy theories as crazy as the war on cars or 15-minute cities. Some of the things they said in the past used to make perfect sense compared to people in the secular world, but now all that's turned upside down and now we're surrounded by cuckoo-crazy followers of the Way. I don't read the Bible that much anymore, but I've been thinking about the Book of Amos. When I read it, and asked what Amos would see in the church today, I think the prophet would express God's barf emoji when looking at conferences, slogans, and Jesus' culture music, while wanting to see rivers of justice. The Gospel of Matthew talks about those who say they cast out demons and perform miracles in his name but God replies child of God yeah right I never knew you and he says that because of the apathy towards the poor the sick the marginalized and the unemployed trying to get work like me and regular people who are the least of these that Jesus says are image bearers of God oh why am I preaching right now I don't know doesn't matter if we're talking about the Toronto Blessing, Azusa Street, or even the recent Asbury revival that happened a year ago. People having a good worship service experience are always called revivals, but churches that are saying that everyone's called to live out the teachings of Jesus, which is justice, mercy, humility, forgiveness, peacemaking, unity, grace, compassion, self-sacrifice, defending the marginalized, loving your neighbor as yourself, helping the refugee and immigrant, caring for the sick, advocating for the oppressed, welcoming the stranger, giving to the poor, and loving even your enemies. Like, what do they do? And I think part of the reason that nothing gets done done is because our literal North American culture and systems behind it have been completely conditioned and, dare I say, completely set up so that no one, not even the person who sins the least, is able to live like Jesus, let alone live differently at all. So Christians just move on and wait for another similar revival of God and the cycle just repeats itself. If people were to ask me what real revivals are today... I'd say we've been in some sort of revival for just over a decade since 2013 when someone from the Australian Salvation Army openly flaunted their bigotry. Although it rarely makes the news, millions of people who believe marginalized lives matter are pushing back against the foolish errors of evangelicalism for a long time, whether it's racism, spiritual and sexual abuse, misogyny, mishandling of money or lack of diversity. And some of these people pushing back are Christians with good hearts. With groups coming out like the New Evangelicals or fans of Sarah Bessie or Shane Claiborne and more people looking into the writings of Rachel Held Evans, I would consider Jesus' followers so-called getting woke to be a real revival. So evangelicals, if you're praying for a revival, you're kind of going to get what you pray for. And yet, I don't think it should be called revival in the conventional sense. That impactful revival, if it exists, is only going to increase when speaking to a world that hates Palestinians while plotting for more events like January 6th. It is so annoyingly sad that someone outside the church has to spell it out for these people. So, back to the road trip that I was talking about at the beginning, dear listener. Here's how things went after the Todd Bentley experience that we had. Me, Moose, and the team, we were on the road to Bethel Brandon for our last revival service. I went through the nar motions until around 10pm. Moose was speaking in tongues while holding a shaking man and yelling clear every so often and pretending to zap the man with holy ghost jumper cables. Two of the other guys were playing fire tag, a game where the person who is it has to impart a blessing by tagging another person and the cycle goes on. I was out of breath from all the activity, even though all I was doing was catching people who were falling down in the spirit. It got to the point where I had to sit down. My emotional and spiritual batteries were very low. I took a pew and I waited for everyone to slow down. Another team member was so hyped up on the spirit that it looked like he was on some serious crack. He came up to me smiling, he was vibrating and excited and he was yelling, it's time to take a drink in order for me to get drunk in the spirit. He kept pretending to pour spiritual beer into my mouth while pushing my forehead and yelling fire, 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 fire. I finally couldn't take it. I wanted to go home and rest. I finally yelled at everyone to stop and shut it down. The room went silent. Nobody raised a finger at me to cast out a demon. We all slowly filed out of the church and drove to our homes in silence. Let me tell you where some of the team I was with in 2008 is today, dear listener. One member moved to California to serve at Bethel in Reading, but soon he went broke He came back to Winnipeg after attending January 6th. He now works in a call center and wears a MAGA hat. I know, because I still check up on his Facebook posts. Moose became a center leftist and he protests with people who believe every child matters. Another team member I was close with became a feminist. Another team member was arrested for his own sexual misconduct. Another joined the Freedom Convoy. And another tried to get me to join the Winnipeg Freedom Convoy protest and after I scolded him on his Christian nationalism via messenger, he blocked me. My wife and I stopped attending church after that. One thing's for sure, if you're listening to this and you've exited out of this world like I have, you have to agree. Going through this kind of Pentecostalism sure was one hell of a trip.